don't walk in the fullness of everything that God has for them. We come short. And I think God is, by His Spirit and by His Word, is trying to provoke us, constantly trying to provoke the believer. He says we're the head and not the tail, right? And we're more than conquerors through Him that love us. We're overcomers and so forth. And God wants us to, to know that we're more than conquerors. This is not just a big name it and claim it kind of thing. This is simply walking in the fullness of what God has for His children. Baptism of the Holy Spirit is something He has for His children. And we're going to talk about, uh, for the next several weeks on Wednesday nights, we're going through this. And two weeks ago we started, and there's four main, uh, four main topics that we're going to discuss. The first is the power, the power of the Word of God. Alright, we spent two weeks on that. The power of the Word of God. The power of the blood of Christ, which we're going to start tonight. The power of the Holy Spirit. The power of prayer and the power of our surrendered life. And uh, we're just going to roughly following an oratory book that I have. But tonight we're going to talk about the power of the blood of Christ. And, and I know the last couple of weeks we talked about the Word of God. And there's great power in that. And the scripture that I've quoted a couple of times from Jeremiah says, uh, Is not my word like a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rocks in pieces? God speaks and it's done. Right? He says it and, and it comes to pass. And it's an amazing thing, the word of God. And He's given us His word. That it's ours. To claim the promises of God. Not haphazardly. Not not out of context, not something that's not really for us and we're claiming it anyway. But I'm talking about walking in the light of the truth of God and the Word of God. And a lot of us are under when we should be over, if you know what I mean. Over circumstances and, and enjoy and things like that. So uh, we've talked about that the last couple of weeks. I know the ladies' Bible study last night, Maria taught, I heard it was uh, wonderful, talking about the Word of God as well. And so you, it's, we're going to move on tonight to the blood of Jesus Christ. There's power in the blood. You know the old, old songs we sing. There's power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Now I want you to start with me by, uh, with me by, by reading Isaiah 59. Let's turn there. Isaiah 59. Talking about the power of the blood of Christ. Tonight and possibly next Wednesday as well. Look at Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot say, neither His ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid His face from you that He will not hear. Now there's nothing that goes on in all of creation that God's not aware of. Okay, a sparrow can't fall to the ground without the Lord taking note of it. And, and here we see that uh, there might have been a question in the people of God saying He's not hearing our prayers. God's not delivering us. God's not helping us. And the Lord said, look, my hand's not short that it can't save. And my ear's not deaf that it cannot hear. I know what's going on. The problem is, which you people are refusing, you're stiff-necked and rebellious, just like we can be. He says the problem is that your iniquities have separated between you and God. And that's the only thing that can separate a man from God. It's not space, it's not time, it's not distance, it's not physical barriers, it's not mountain ranges, it's not oceans or 
distances between here and heaven. The only thing that can separate a human being from God Almighty is sin. Now God is perfectly aware of everything that the sinner is doing in his sin. So in that sense, he's not separated. But as far as a communion, a relationship, a fellowship, where you're going to talk to God and he's going to hear you and you're going to have a walk with the Lord as one of his children, sin is that barrier. Sin separates, and only sin separates us from the Lord. He says, your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you, that he will not hear. He's saying, I hear you, but I'm not going to hear you. Okay? I'm lost man saying, bless me. You know what I'm saying? Bless me. And, and yet, God is saying, no, call upon me. Turn to me. Turn from your sin. Turn to me. God is kind even to the wicked. Amen. He's patient with the wicked. And He spares them from car wrecks every day. And they don't even know it. Or maybe they've cursed God all their life. They're about to hit an 18-wheeler. And they cry out Jesus. And they're lost and don't know Him. And He still spares their life because He's good. But as far as what separates a man from God is sin. And, and the blood of Jesus deals with sin. And I want you to, uh, to know something that the author of this book points out. He makes a good point. Uh, that sin separates us from the Lord and sin must be put away. If you're going to know the power of God, the power that a Christian can walk in, what it means to walk in an overcoming life, or as, as uh, Tori puts it, the fullness of His power. If you're, going, you're not going to know that, the first thing we have to know is that that's forgiveness of sins and that sin has to be put away. Otherwise, you're just on the outside looking in. You really are. You might know all about God and the things of God and miracles and part in the Red Sea and, and opening blind eyes and, and so forth. But we're on the outside looking in until our sins are forgiven and we're washed in the blood of Jesus. Amen? And so the Lord puts away our sins. I want us, us to turn to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews 9.26 And just for time's sake, y'all, I'm going to go ahead and start reading it. But that's what we're reading from. Hebrews 9.26 for then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to do what? Put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. We're talking about the power of the blood of Jesus tonight. And so those, those animal sacrifices, like we've heard so much about, we did that whole series on the altar. And then when Eric opened a communion Sunday night, he talked about one of the scriptures we're going to read. But those uh, atoning those sacrifices of animals that were perpetually offered up on the altar, the brazen altar, God allowed it. He provided, provided that and then accepted those as a covering for sin. But they didn't take away the guilty conscience. They didn't actually wash the heart and make a new heart. Uh, they had to keep offering these sacrifices. And it was, it was designed to bring people to an end of themselves and to call out on God. Like David says, Offerings and you know sacrifices and burnt offerings thou wouldest not, which you really want. You know, sacrifices of God are broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart of God that will not despise. But Jesus came once in the end of this world, the end of this age, like what we're living in now, to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. To put it away. And put it away means put it away as far as the east is from the west. So we have to know the power of the blood of Jesus experientially in our lives. If you're going to know the power of prayer, you hear people say there's power in prayer. Well, there is. 
or the power of the Holy Spirit. You're not going to experience any of that unless you have experienced the power of the blood of Jesus Christ making you clean from your sin. Because remember, the sins separate us from the, us and the Lord to where He will not hear. And He's, he's reaching out for men to come to Him. So uh, let's just look tonight a little bit at what the blood of Jesus Christ can do. First of all, the blood of Christ is a propitiation for sin. And so we're just going to talk about some of the basic things. What does the blood of Jesus do for man? For a believing man. It's there for all men. But it only uh, is effective for those that give their life to Christ by faith. But it's a propitiation. And so that's a word that's a little strange. I don't think if you're not reading the Bible, you know, you're really not going to run across that word. At least I have not. But it simply means an atoning victim or an atoning sacrifice. And Jesus is, among all the things that He is, one of the things He is, is the propitiation for our sins. And so He's the atoning victim. He was that innocent lamb. Like a lamb led to the slaughter. Innocent, and yet the just dying for the unjust. Okay? And so, I'll just read this. If you're taking notes, uh, Romans 3.25. Okay? This is a good little study. Romans 3.25 says, Who God, speaking of Christ, has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins or the forgiveness of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. Now, Paul had already talked in, earlier in that chapter that every mouth be stopped in the whole world be guilty before God. In other words, Paul being the legalist, legal mind that he had as a believer, a Pharisee who's now born again, and he knowing the Scriptures, and then being saved and filled with the Holy Ghost and speaking as the Holy Ghost directs him, he's making this legal argument that all of sin comes through the glory of God in Romans 3. There's none righteous, no, not one. And he says that all the matter, God's given us the law, and He's given us the thou shalt not, and then everybody did it anyway and broke the laws of God and the commandments of God. Even if you didn't know the commandments of God and couldn't list all ten commandments, we still are all guilty before the Lord that every mouth may be stopped and just say, shh, no, you're guilty. Quit trying to justify yourself. Okay? And so he made that point in Romans chapter 3 that everyone may be guilty before God. Every mouth may be stopped. And so... God hates sin. Y'all know that? He loves the sinner, but God hates sin. And it's a very real hatred. It's not a play kind of thing. Where He hates sin. I remember one time uh, when I, I heard a minister say something uh, to the contrary of that. And so I began to study and I said, that doesn't sound right. I know that God hates sin. And so I started studying it and I looked up and I got to about 20 very specific scriptures, Old Testament and New Testament, that talks about God's hatred towards sin. He, he uses the word hate in His Word. He uses the word abhor, which is to utterly detest. Okay? Does He love sinful men? Absolutely. We started with that scripture tonight, for God so loved the world. And that's a lost world. Okay? But He hates sin. And He's going to deal with sin. And the wrath of God against sin is going to hit its mark somewhere. It doesn't just go away. 
And we talked about this before. Somebody commits a sin. Every sin that's ever committed by a lost person or now that you're saved and you've committed sins as I have since I've been saved, every sin that's ever been committed or ever will be committed is going to be judged. Nobody gets away with it. There's not one sin that's overlooked. The Lord turns a blind eye. He sticks His fingers in His ear and pretends like He doesn't hear. That would be uh, permissive with sin. Allowing it to go. Saying that the wages of sin is death, but doesn't quite really mean it. We're going to let some of it slide. You understand what I'm saying? God doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. The, the penalty for sin or God's wrath against sin that He hates fell upon Jesus. It fell upon Him for us and we're clean escaped. We like step out of the way and it falls upon Christ. And that's what the Bible says. And it says, All we like sheep have gone astray. And Isaiah 53, We've turned every man to his own way. And the Lord hath laid. And that word laid literally means made to, to strike. Okay? Like a, a strike at. Or I don't know if that would be like a hit, like a punch. <coughs> but a strike. The Lord has laid on him. That's the innocent Lamb of God, Jesus, the eternal Son, on Him, the iniquity of us all. God's wrath on sin is, is going to hit its mark. It doesn't go undone. It doesn't just float on off into space. Like I've said, to give the example where, okay, son, if you come in after, you know, curfew's at 11 o'clock, if you come in after that, I'm taking the car keys away. They come in at 11.30 and you're too tired to deal with it because you're already in bed. I'm like, I'm going to just pretend like it didn't happen. Like I didn't hear him come in at 11.30. I'm going to roll over and go to sleep. That's permissive with sin. Don't say it if you're not going to do it. Okay? Yeah, but, if, but God doesn't do that. He's not unjust. But He's merciful in it. He's perfectly just and perfectly merciful towards sinners who deserve the wrath of God. We were by nature children of wrath, it says in Ephesians chapter 2. But the Lord has laid upon Him, Jesus, His own, God's own Son, the iniquity of us all. So the wrath of God, literally, like we sing songs and so forth, was satisfied. The wrath of God was satisfied when, when Jesus died on the cross. And Jesus says, it's finished. And so now we can be accepted in the beloved as sinful as we are. We know the sins we've committed in our lives before we came to Christ. We know sins we've committed in our lives since we've come to Christ. We know horrible things we've said and thought and done that nobody on this planet knows that we've said and done and thought. And the Lord knows it all. And He's satisfied that we didn't get away with it. The wrath was put on Jesus. And if I'm going to be pardoned from that, I have to put my faith in Jesus. Because that's where the blow struck upon Him. And that's the blood that was shed. And I just wanted to read this. You know, I'm paraphrasing it, but you know it in Proverbs. I'm not going to read for time's sake, but in Proverbs chapter 6, starting in verse 16, these six things does the Lord hate, yea, seven, or an abomination, a lying tongue, a false witness, and so forth. Uh, so He hates sin. And then in, in Hebrews, if you're still there, chapter 1, verse 9, Thou, speaking of Jesus, Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. 
I'm kind of regressing a little bit how God hates sin. We don't get away with it. You have loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. And so the power of Christ's blood, He has the power to be the propitiation for the sins of the whole world. The whole world. In other words, that's, that's great power, isn't it? That, that one man could take the place, take the sins of a whole sinful human race from Adam to people that aren't even born yet. And that one Christ and that one event on the cross where He died for the sins of the world, that's great power in that specific blood that was shed. There's not any other blood. It's the blood of the Lamb of Jesus Christ, the, the spotless Lamb of God. The Bible says that even Christ is our Passover. And I want to read this. I really do. I want you to turn with me in Exodus. And we're just going to take our time tonight and stop whenever the Lord wants us to stop. But Exodus chapter 12. Now it says in 1 Corinthians, even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. That's in 1 Corinthians. Well, we know the story of the Passover when God instituted that. In Exodus chapter 12, the eve that He was going to bring His, His people Israel out of bondage, out of slavery, out of Egypt, and bring them into a land flowing with milk and honey that He promised to them. And let's look at this. Exodus 12, 13. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. So the blood was not their own blood that they shed. The blood was the blood of a lamb. They put the blood of the lamb on the doorposts and, and the, over the top of the door. And then they were safely inside. And there was other details about the Passover night. But he says, I'm give, I've given you the blood. It should be a token of you for you where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you. Okay? Three times he's saying you. But they didn't do anything except obey the Lord and get inside. Do what he told them to do. But when he saw that blood, which they had nothing to do with, other than obedience, okay? Um, when I see the blood, I will, I will pass over you. He goes, the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. Look at verse 23. For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians. So there were people that died that night. A lot of people. Firstborn in every house in Egypt. Okay, including Pharaoh's house. And when he seeth the blood upon the lintel and on the two side posts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not suffer the destroyer to come into your houses to smite you. It's personal. Okay? It's personal. What was that? What was the, the Passover? Well, it was the Passover. It was what it was. But it also foreshadowed Christ coming and dying on the cross. Everything's fulfilled in Jesus. Everything. And if there's any doubts, the New Testament Scriptures fill in any blanks that we might have. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians, even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Amen. Same thing. The Lamb of God takes away the sins of the world. So the wrath of God upon the believers of sins of the whole world is fully satisfied in Christ. That's a wonderful thought. It's a wonderful blessing. Amen? And so we're, we're, we're blessed. God 
hate sin, yet God's wrath has fully been appeased or satisfied in the shed blood of His own Son. It's a wonderful thing. And in 1 John 2, 2, it says, And He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. You know, it's kind of sad to think that there are people that Jesus died for that are going to die and go to hell, but it happens every day, right? He died for them. Why will you die? Says, O house of Israel. That's the Old Testament. The Lord's pleading with Israel. You don't have to. And the same blood is crying out today and the Gospel is crying out today to sinful people today. He's the propitiation not only for our sins, the believer's sin that John's talking to in 1 John, but for the sins of the whole world. People that will never come to Him and yet what Jesus did, the power of the blood is there for them and sufficient for them anytime they will call upon Him. And so all God's dealings with men that you know, saved men is on the basis of the blood of Jesus. He's able to be merciful to us because of the blood of Jesus. And you might wonder, well, you know, there was roughly 4,000 years of living and dying and sinning, sinning before Jesus came to the cross. You know, roughly from the creation till Jesus came. How, it, it, how could Jesus deal with, I mean, how could God be merciful to sinners before the cross. And it's very simple. Jesus Christ is the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. We need to grasp it. We need to see it. Doesn't the Bible make that clear? That as soon as Adam and Eve sinned, and sin was introduced in the world, and death by sin, the Bible says, and death was passed on the all, for that all have sinned. But God promised a Redeemer when sin was committed, the Redeemer was promised. So men looked ahead. So what if they lived and died? I don't mean so what, like it's nothing, but many people lived and died before Jesus came. Lived and died and committed sins and had sinful nature of Adam and needed a Savior. The animal sacrifices couldn't save them. They were temporary covering. They still had to be justified by faith like Abraham. But So they're living on this side of the cross, but God gives His Word and you know what I'm saying? He gives the types and shadows of the sacrifices and they typified Christ. Moses spoke of that prophet that would come. God promised the seed of the woman that crushed the serpent to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3. All through, we read from Isaiah, David prophesied of the coming Savior in the cross. And so all these prophecies, so men lived and died before and God called them home before they died. I mean, before Christ came. God called them home. So they didn't live to see Jesus come as a historical fact. But their faith was still in that. So the Lord has always dealt mercifully with sinful men based on the blood of His Son. Before it was shed, and since it's been shed, it was a promise that was given. We're still saved by grace through faith. That's how Abraham was saved. That's how Isaiah and David and Samuel were saved. And, and Noah and everyone else. Noah found grace. They're all looking forward to the coming Savior. They just lived in a dispensation where they died before He came. Their faith was still squarely upon Him if they were saved. So it's a, a, a wonderful thing. So let's see what else. The blood of Jesus is the power to be the propitiation for sin. The blood of Jesus also has the power to redeem man. And we're going to touch on this a little bit later as well, but redemption means to purchase, right? And so Ephesians 1 7, 
if you want to turn there, but I'm going to go ahead and read it. Ephesians 1, 7. We have redemption. How? Through His blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. We have redemption through His blood. And, and just so we know, it's not, it's not works. It's not religious works. It's not uh, through any other means. It is through His blood that people are redeemed. We have that. So it means it's, it's our possession now. We have redemption through the blood, through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. It's something that we don't have to work for. It's something if we put our trust in Christ that we have. We have redemption right now. We've been redeemed. It's ours. And faith just appropriates these things. Faith lays hold on that truth. It is a truth. And faith lays hold on it and it becomes ours. And that's every truth of the Word of God. The Holy Ghost enlightens us, illuminates our minds and hearts and spirits. And we lay hold on it. The Bible says that, that uh, God made peace. It's about 2,000 years ago through the blood of His cross. Peace. And everybody's looking for peace, right? But without the blood of Jesus washing our sins away and bringing us into a right relationship with God, there's no peace. But He made peace specifically in Colossians 1.20 by the blood of His cross. We need to, we got to get our, our doctrine kind of lined out. And I know we know these are simple truths, but the Bible says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He made peace through his blood. I come, I'm washed under the blood, therefore, I'm in a right standing with God and have peace with God. Peace with God. I'm not at odds with them. I'm not a stranger. I'm not a, I'm not a foreigner. I'm not an enemy of God. I'm not an enemy of the cross. Uh, I'm not serving the God of this world. Therefore, enemy of God, He has made peace through the blood of His Son, Jesus. The power of the blood also, the power of the blood to cleanse us from all sin. 1 John 1, 7. Wonderful Scripture. There are a lot of Scriptures that talk about the cleansing power of the blood. But 1 John 1, 7 says, If we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. That word cleanseth there is, a, is like a present state. It's an ongoing, continual state. It's not just a past state, which obviously we've been cleansed in the blood of Jesus. But that if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have this fellowship with one another, like we have tonight, okay, as believers in Christ. And the blood of, God, of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us an ongoing cleansing from our sin. A sin today. Word, thought, or deed, attitude, some way I sin against the Lord. And yet it's on, there's ongoing power of the blood of Jesus. The same blood that originally cleansed me when I came to Christ and washed over me, washes me continually. Keeps me clean. I'm still, I still have this carnal body and the nature that's carnal that still can sin. We still live in a world that's characterized by sin. And the God of this world is dark. It's fallen. And the God of this world is Satan. And we're, we're here. And so we need this continual cleansing of Jesus for our sins. Like minute by minute. Hour by hour. Day by day. 
you know, week by week, year by year. He's cleansing us. And I read this quote and I liked it. I might have used it before. Christ on the cross. Okay, just picture Jesus on the cross. Saves from the guilt of sin. All right, that's like a cleansing and washing away the guilty stain. Christ on the throne, Christ on the throne where he is now, the right hand of the Father, right? Until his enemies are made a footstool and he comes back. Christ on the throne saves from the power of sin. Because remember, he's interceding for us all the time. And Christ coming again, when he comes back and takes us, say in the rapture, and he raptures us and we go with him. Christ coming again for his church saves us from the presence of sin. So we'll no, no longer be around sin. We'll no longer be around temptation. That's going to be really glorious. To really be saved. Um, we're already saved, but to be saved and it's not even on the radar. It's not part of life. It's not part of the air we breathe. It's not part of, oh, you hear it. You know, you're walking down the street praying to God and all these people are cursing like crazy. You're like, oh man, I don't want to hear that. You know, it's, it's just not part of existence. It's going to be wonderful. Christ coming again, but His blood cleanses us. So as long as you and I, uh, as believers, the way to continue, continually be cleansed is to walk in the light as He is in the light. Walk in the light. Just stay in the light of Jesus. When we get off a little, start getting off in a shady ground and dark territory, you know, God convicts us. He's given us His Spirit. And we don't have to go way off in there. And He brings us back. But that, that we're walking in that, that light and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. No matter, like I said, no matter how often you and I have sinned, no matter how greatly we have sinned, no matter how grossly we have sinned, the blood of Jesus Christ uh, cleanses us. The Bible says in Isaiah 118, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. It's going to be through the blood of Jesus that that, that comes. And, and so if Satan comes to try to bring up some of your past to you, he does it, doesn't he? You know, he does it, and we're not ignorant of his devices. At times, he wants to throw up all the dirt from your past. And he's right. All that dirt was in my past. But the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses me from all my sin. So it's gone. And, and not, no one can lay anything to the charge of God's elect, His Word says. And we're elect in Christ Jesus. What's another thing? This is a big one. That they're all big. Another thing that the blood of Jesus can do. In Romans 5, verse 9, much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. So I'm going to talk a little bit about justification. It's a big word. We have to understand this. You don't have to understand it to be saved. You just have to be a sinner and believe the Gospel and mean it and give your life to Christ. But as a believer walking through life, we need to understand the Word of God so we're more thankful to the Lord. We're more confident in our standing with Christ. We're more able to bring that good news to other people. It's just good all the way around. We're able to encourage each other and brothers and sisters in the Lord to understand the Word of God. Justified means, uh, or justification is a legal term. And so God is a God of law and order. Sin is to miss the mark. So we missed it. And we're, we're guilty 
and two accounts. We're guilty because we have the nature of Adam, so we have a sinful nature. And Romans 5 tells us, for that all have sinned. So we, we're, we're guilty because we've committed sins, and we're guilty because we have a guilty nature of sin. But when the blood of Jesus cleanses us, and we give our life to Christ by faith, and by His grace, He saves us, He does something, and He justifies us by His blood. It's nothing that you did. You know, it's just like a, a, a wedding. And all, all you this one man saying to the woman, I do. I mean, the, the preacher does everything. You know, you got the ring, you got this, you got the that. And all the other guy, guys got to say is, I do. You take this wife to be one to be I do. You know, and all we do is, is say, I do to the Lord. And the Lord justifies us. He forgives us. He cleanses us. He sends His Holy Spirit to live inside of us. He gives us give the gift of eternal life. But what is justified means a legal term that means to pronounce just or to render just or innocent. That's all it means. So you're sitting before a judge who has authority and there's a crime committed and here's the, the, the people, the defendants, standing before the bar, standing before the, uh, the, the judge, and the judge slams down the gavel and says, I pronounce you, and I'm the one with authority to do it, I pronounce you as being innocent or just. But the Lord doesn't do that carelessly. It costs the blood of His Son. But if someone comes through the blood of Jesus, that's one of the wonderful benefits that is into knowing Christ that He pronounces us as being just or innocent. Much more that than now being justified by His blood. And so it means more than forgiven and cleansed. So think about it. Uh, somebody might, again, that, you know, the guilt, you're, you're guilty of this crime and it, the, there's a fine of $2,000 for the crime you committed. And so, but, but I forgive you and I'm not going to make, make you pay the, the, the fine. The judge could say that. And so the person walks away. But they're still not justified. They were forgiven and didn't have to pay the, the penalty. But they're not really innocent. They committed the crime. They're not innocent. So take it a step further. Not only are we forgiven of our sins and pardoned, which the blood of Jesus does, but the blood of Jesus justifies us to where God can legally say to us, you're innocent. Not only did I forgive all your jillions of sins that you've committed, but you're innocent. White as snow. Clean. It's like you never did it. They're not part of your past even. They're, I mean, they are part of our past, but they're so put away from us that God doesn't look at us simply as a sinner that's saved by grace. He looks at us as His, as his child. He looks at us as a saint. We are sinners saved by grace. But He looks at us. And I've thought of this example. I forgot um, where, I, where I read it. But years ago, a governor has the power to pardon criminals. He can pardon felons. He can pardon wherever he wants to pardon. And a lot of times right before a governor leaves office, you know, they make a bunch of pardons. Or a president can do the same thing for federal crimes. But... Uh, Let's say that uh, there was a man who was guilty of horrendous crimes of murder and, and, and rape and all kinds of things. And he's, he's sitting there in Angola. And this governor pardons him and lets him go. That man would be very thankful, to say the least, 
that he's been pardoned. But I can promise you that governor would not let that man sleep over at his house with his wife and his children and family and so forth. He's not going to treat him like one of the family. He wants him far away. I did my good deed. You just stay as far as you can from me. He might not say those words, but that's what he's thinking. But that's not what the Lord's done. He has pardoned us. He has forgiven us. He has cleansed us. He has justified us by His grace and said, you're innocent. Come be with me. Come be with me. You're my sons. You're my daughters. You're my family. And that is, you know, the forgiveness of sins in a way is almost like dealing with a negative. Like sins are negative, we'll put them away. The, the, the justification is a positive. He's going beyond that and pronouncing something over our lives that is just like a gift of God from His grace. That He can do that. And it's all because of the blood of Jesus. It's all because of the merits of Christ. When He sees us, He doesn't see us the way He knows. He's aware. He's not ignorant. But He chooses to see us as being in His Son, which is a reality, and washed in the blood of Jesus, and join heirs with His Son. It is a wonderful thing. This is what... And I'm just touching on it. Uh, but this is, this is justification. Not only are we stripped from the vile things that we've done and forgiven, but we're blessed with a wonderful positive thing and being justified. <coughs> Amen. Our, our filthy rags are taken away, but we're robed in this beautiful robe of righteousness. So He didn't just take them away and leave me in normal little street clothes or something, my filthy rags of sin. He took those away, which are putrid and nasty, and death and decay all over them. He took those away, and He says, I'm going to robe you in the, in the robe of my son, the sinless who never committed a sin. Eternal, holy God. That the angels are singing, holy, holy, holy. I'm going to put His righteousness upon you and robe you in that righteousness. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Uh, let's look at this Scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is one you ought to highlight if you haven't. I mean, it's a wonderful one to me. 2 Corinthians 5.21 2 Corinthians 5.21 For He, that's the Father, hath made Him, that's Christ, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. It's all because of Jesus and what He did. Amen? What else can the blood of Jesus do? Y'all, the blood of Jesus has the power to, to cleanse us, even our conscience, to serve God. And I want to read this scripture from Hebrews 9.14. Hebrews 9.14 How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot or without sin to God. And that's really who He offered Himself to, y'all. He died for us, but He offered Himself up to God. God prepared Himself a body. And that sacrifice was back unto the Lord. And the Father accepts it. It says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? That's a wonderful Scripture. And I really personally got a lot out of that study in Hebrews. There's so many wonderful things, especially about what we have in Christ and His priesthood and Him being the priest and, and what the blood of Jesus did that the blood of animal sacrifices could never do. And that's one of those things. How much the blood of Christ, it says, purge your conscience 
from dead works to serve the living God. So it's not only forgiveness of sins, but our conscience is cleansed and washed. And so now we can serve God with this great freedom and this great liberty. There's a lot of lost people that have some idea in their mind of serving God. We could call them a religious person. They don't really know Christ. They're not really born again. And yet, they just feel like they ought to be doing something for God. They don't know Him. But, but it has to be. It's the only thing it could be. It has to be they're serving. They're still sinners. Their conscience hasn't been cleansed. Their heart hasn't been washed away. They haven't been filled with the Holy Ghost. They haven't been brought into the family of God. So they're trying in their minds, in their lives, sometimes with great effort, false religions all over the world, uh, to serve God. But they're not, they can't do it with any kind of true knowledge or liberty or freedom. It has to be dead works. And that's what the author of Hebrews is saying. Uh, not only does he bring us out of sin, but he brings us out of a lifetime of those that would try to please God without God. A lifetime of trying to please God through good works or religious works and so forth we're with no real knowledge of the Lord. We can't please Him that way, but the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses our conscience and we can serve Him in, in, not in dead works, but in good works and in, in living works of the Lord. Because the power of the blood of Jesus has the, the ability to do that. There's no longer a self-effort. When we're serving God, everybody in this room in some capacity serves God. And it's not a dead work. Sometimes it's hard to serve God. Sometimes it's difficult. Many times it's tiring. Many times it taxes us and strains us uh, in, our, in time and in everything else. But, but it's, not, uh, it's not a deadness to it. It's not dead work. It's, it's life. It's joy. It's liberty. Why? Because the blood of Jesus that cleanses me from my sin has also cleansed my conscience conscious to where I'm not trying to do it in dead works. I'm doing it by the power of the Holy Ghost. I'm doing it by faith. It's not just a self-effort. You see what I'm saying? And the world is filled with people that are, are trying to make it to heaven through self-effort. They're not going to do it. They cannot. It's impossible. And so this is good news. It's good news for a lost man. It's good news for a saved man. Another thing that the blood of Jesus can do to know that we're already accepted in Christ. I don't have to work to be accepted. I'm accepted in Christ in the blood that's washed me and cleansed me. I'm already His. I'm not working to be His. I'm not working to be more of His. I'm serving God because I love it. I'm serving God out of great joy. I'll be no more His than I was the day before because He's already purchased me and redeemed me. I'm serving God because I love it. I'm serving God because it's the first time I get it. I understand. If you love me, keep my commandments. I'm not keeping His commandments in order to be saved. I'm saved. And if you love me, I keep His commandments and I serve Him. And so uh, we need to see it as, as God looks at it. And God sees it as done. He sees your sin and my sin as atoned for. And the blood of Jesus has already commended us to the Father, so to speak. He's justified us and we belong to Him. And there's different types of people. There are people, and you might could add to this, but there are people that are in sin and they love their sin. They have no intention of changing. You met people like that? I was not saying that at some point in their life they won't, 
have an intention to change and maybe seek after God. But there are people that you and I met, maybe at some point in your life in the past, you were a sinner, you were fine with being a sinner, you were happy as could be in your sin, like a pig in a pig pen. This is just where I want to stay. And while we're around, all in my sin. That's not a good state to be in because they have no real conscience for God, no desire for God. There are people that are sinners that know they're sinners. They don't like being in sin, but they don't. nobody's brought them the Gospel or they haven't understood the Gospel or accepted Christ. And so they know they're sinners. They know they've got to make it up to God somehow. And they're trying to serve God and do religious works and good works. That's not good either. That would be better than the first one just in their pig pen who says, I have no intention of changing. I want to live this way. Okay? This, this next person at least has some kind of consciousness about I'm not right with God. But the best of all, far better, is to say I'm a sinner. I want to be right with God. And then here's the blood of Jesus to make me right with God. And I don't have to do it out of self-effort. And when, I'm, when I've come to Jesus and uh, 50 years after I've been saved, I never have to add to that. There's nothing I could add to that. There's a whole lot I can add to my relationship with the Lord. A whole lot more fruit that I can bear in my life. A whole lot more Christ-likeness I can have and character in my life. A whole lot more maturity. A whole lot more usefulness to the Lord. But I don't have to, to do anything. He has justified me fully by His grace. And so I just thank the Lord. And, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close right here, y'all, before I, I get into the next... A little section. I want to close with this first. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 9. We started there. We're going to close with this tonight. It's similar to a verse we read in, in verse 22, but let's look at verse 26. Hebrews 9 26, and we'll close. For then must he often have suffered, speaking of Jesus, since the foundation of the world, but now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. And in verse 22, which uh, I wanted to read as well, and almost all things are by law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. And I just want us to be thankful tonight to thank the Lord that He has put away our sin. And we're going to look at a couple more things. Uh, they're similar to what we've talked about tonight. A couple more things that the blood of Jesus has the power to do next week but to make us clean, to make us innocent, when we know, of all people, we know good and well we're not innocent. And yet He calls us innocent. He calls us just. Does that mean if I, after I'm saved, I can just get away with my sins and never have to deal with them? No. We read it. If we walk in the light as He is in the light. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You and us as believers, we still need to confess our sin. Okay? We're not getting away with that either. You and I as believers still need to repent and turn from our sin. We need to come to the Lord. But we don't wallow around in it. We don't wallow around in self-pity. We come and the blood of Jesus has power continually to cleanse us daily or as often as we need it to cleanse us. And I'm just very thankful. All the songs that, that the Lord put on Dee's heart tonight were about the blood, just about every one of them was about the blood of Jesus Christ and the power of that blood. If you're going to know, as I said at the beginning, the power of prayer or 
how to overcome sin or anything, first we have to know the power of the blood in our lives. Amen? And to walk in that. So I'm just going to close in prayer. Y'all, these altars are open. If you want to come and pray, maybe there's sin in your heart uh, that the Lord has convicted you of and you want to ask Him tonight to cleanse you in that same blood and to forgive you. Maybe you've kind of taken the blood of Jesus for granted and not really thanked Him for the sacrifice that He made on the cross. He put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself, the Bible says. The, the hugeness of the just dying for the unjust is an amazing thing. Who but God? And Lord, we thank You, Lord, that You have redeemed us by the blood of Christ. You've made peace through the blood of Your cross. We were strangers. We were the wrath of God was abiding upon us, Lord. And You reconciled us unto Yourself. And we have peace with God for all eternity. There's no point we won't have peace with You, God. Not only did You pardon our sin like a governor pardons sin, but Lord, You, you pronounced us as being innocent. And You welcomed us into Your family, into Your home, into Your heaven one day. And You're not ashamed to be called our God. And you send us out to represent you, to be ambassadors for Christ on this earth, to be ministers of reconciliation. And you put your name upon us and you, and you put your spirit in us and you, you dwell among us and in our churches, God. And we are thankful for that, Lord. It's all possible because of the blood that Jesus shed. Born of a virgin, not of Adam, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. And Lord, we're thankful tonight, God.